Thanks everyone for joining us for another episode of our Spotlight series brought to you in partnership with Dentons. My name is Julia Chelru and I'm the co-founder of PropTech Collective, a not-for-profit community focused on bridging the communication and knowledge silos between the PropTech and real estate worlds. I'm grateful to be joined today by my co-host Kenda Shaheen, who I will invite to introduce herself. Hi everyone, my name is Kenda Shaheen and I'm a senior associate with Dentons Venture Law Group in Toronto. My practice focuses on all things startup and emerging growth, from pre-seed to exit and everything in between. Thanks, Kanda. And every month we've partnered up uh, to highlight the diverse stories of founders, investors, and change-making real estate professionals that are part of the PropTech Collective community. Uh, we love to make the most out of the short time that we have together to learn more about their experience and trends that they're seeing in the space. So today we're super thrilled to have Nathan Ma, the co-founder of Miro, join us. Welcome, Nathan. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, thanks, Julia. Thanks, Kenda. Really, really glad to be here. Glad to have you as well. So how about we kick it off with uh, you telling us more about your journey uh, up to founding Miro. So what makes you who you are and what led you to where you are now? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, my background has um, actually always been through um, a lens of entrepreneurship. My, my family's um, all entrepreneurs actually themselves. So uh, we have a, a family business um, on the West Coast of Canada or um, not, not so much the coast, but uh, in the prairies uh, in Alberta. And um, so I grew up um, in their family business um, kind of every day, um, seeing practices of entrepreneurship. Um, you know, we really went um, kind of forward and things and they supported me throughout my journey, uh, even when I chose to be an entrepreneur uh, coming out of university, which is uh, not always the, the easiest choice. So um, I'm lucky enough to have had that support growing up. That's amazing. Having spent a lot of time with entrepreneurs, having a support system is great. And it's lucky that you have it in your family. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting to have the history as in sort of seeing it and growing up with it um, and to not sort of be a first time entrepreneur in some ways. Um, but obviously, the context of what you're doing now is probably very different from what your family did. Um, for our listeners who don't know what Miro does, uh, could you walk us through uh, what the company is, what the business is, um, and the gap that you saw in the market for the solution that it provides. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, really, you know, from my um, kind of personal experience, um, I was fortunate enough to work in internships in uh, real estate development um, in Southeast Asia between um, my degree. Um, and then when I, I came back to Canada to do my uh, master's degree at Queens, that's when I met my co-founder. Um, and it was really his sort of background and experience working for a large property management firm uh, in Toronto and working in um, sort of the operation side of the business. Um, his job was to sift through manual cleaning logs, actually. So we've all seen these pen and paper logs that are kind of tacked on the back of uh, the door of the restroom. Um, he sifted through every single one of those, um, put them into an Excel spreadsheet, and then that sheet became the single source of truth for um, you know multi-million dollar contract renewal decisions. So obviously a, a very time-consuming, uh, very manual uh, sort of process. Um, and that's when we met uh, in university. So, you know, myself uh, with a business background, um, him with the technology background as a computer engineer, um, you know, we really kind of brought our um, sort of understanding or mutual understanding of you know, commercial real estate and commercial property management specifically um, and started working on Miro. Um, so, you know, what Miro does is, is solve that core pain point. It's always been our thesis. Um, you know, we help improve the efficiency of cleaning staff and um, improve efficiencies for commercial property managers. Um, and we really focus on the cleaning vertical. 
it's awesome to see how an idea from university, essentially a pain point from an internship can turn into, you know, a venture capital backed business. And, and um, I just love hearing that. Um, I guess on that note, you know, no path is, is linear in building a startup, especially the path of a startup. So I, I'd be curious to kind of understand from you and, and also from your co-founders, I guess, journey as well. Like, what was the process that you went through from, from start to finish to even start building out what you, you guys have at Mira? Yeah, so I mean, it really extends off that initial meeting. Um, yeah, when I met Cole, uh, we... You know, the really the first proof of concept for Miro was basically an Arduino strapped to a 3D printed shell. Hmm. Um, it didn't look pretty by any means, but you know we were able to talk to customers and um, put that into pilot sites. Um, you know, it's really the the initial way for any business to start is you know talking to your initial customers and finding a way to test uh, the product in order to kind of get validation for it. Um, so, you know, we, we really put that hardware um, into uh, client sites, we were able to test it, um, and, you know, we were fortunate enough to, to have um, kind of some of, uh, you know, good backing from both the university and from the community in Kingston, uh, where, where Queens is located. And actually, our first pilot site was in a healthcare facility uh, associated with the university. Um, so with that sort of momentum, we were able to, you know, quickly grow it, uh, eventually move it to Toronto. Um, and, you know, that was kind of the momentum that we needed to get the product out, validate it and start to develop an MVP. So I'm curious, I was just that, uh, you know, you said that you started in healthcare, which is kind of a very interesting market to kind of dive into and then try to have that as your first pilot. I'm curious to know, like, are you still in that vertical now? And from those pilots and where you are today, like, what are some of the lessons learned of what worked and what didn't work? <laughs> Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, you know, that's, uh, that pilot really gave us a lot of learnings that we needed to kind of validate our customers. Uh, we initially started targeting commercial cleaning companies, um, as we thought that they would be sort of best suited for it. Um, they were also much more approachable. So when we were doing our initial cold calls and calling out to commercial cleaning companies, they were much more approachable than say, a, a big commercial property management firm, um, where, you know, who knows who you would even pick the phone and dial. Um, so we were actually kind of fortunate. We, we a lot of times reached the owners of cleaning companies directly. Um, and, you know, we reached one of our major uh, current partners um, on the phone and we actually connected right to, you know, the executive VP at that time. And he brought us into one of his client sites. So um, a major commercial office here in downtown Toronto, that was really our first foray into the commercial real estate sector. And from there, we realized that, you know, this is something that's much, much bigger than, you know, just commercial cleaning. Well, you know, while that's a pretty major market, um, you know, the, the real estate side of it could be much greater. Um, and we really started to tailor the solution for, for that target market instead of just solely commercial cleaning. Um, you know, it's developed to, to really impact a lot of people in, in different verticals, but uh, we've been focusing on, you know, commercial office um, as a key sector. Um, but we also have deployments throughout healthcare. Uh, we have it in um, universities, hospitals. Um, so it's, it's starting to expand quite a bit into other verticals as well. That's, uh, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I'm curious. I mean, uh, I'd be remiss, and I think our listeners would also be uh, curious to know, given the nature of the business, like the pandemic, um, like what did, I guess a lot of companies faced some challenges in the pandemic, I suspect for you, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the nature of your business probably put you on a catapult um, and sort of forced you to uh, like 
generate and innovate more quickly and, and push. So I'm, I'm just curious about your experience uh, through, I guess, the beginning of 2020 till now. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Um, you know, obviously we had this idea, you know, way before um, COVID was, was even sort of a, a concept. Um, but, you know, you, just like you're alluding to, like it definitely was uh, a really strong tailwind for us. Um, we, we, we definitely were benefits, um, benefited from, from, you know, the, the kind of state of the way things were after the pandemic. Um, I mean, it turned the whole industry on, uh, on its head. And, you know, everybody's really, you know, really, really smart people are starting to think about what the future of work looks like. And, you know, that's really where we fell into. So um, immediately after the pandemic, obviously, safety was our first priority, you know, with our employees, uh, with our staff. But as we started to get into month three, month four, month five into um, lockdowns and the pandemic, and we had that first initial um, sort of slow return to work, um, property managers were tasked with sort of this um, variable occupancy problem, as, as we mm -hmm. kind of called it. So sometimes a building would have 10% of people in there. Sometimes it would have 20%. And there wasn't really a solution to understand what was happening in a real-time basis um, for uh, specifically for cleaning staff. Um, and obviously, you know, cleaners in the buildings, they wouldn't have to be at a full workload as they were right. um, prior to the pandemic. So that particular use case and solution um, really uh, sort of magnified our, our, our growth. Um, you know, we grew 3x over the course of the pandemic from um, about May until September 2020. And that's what really led us to, you know, kind of realize a, a real lot of, um, you know, really solid progress for the business. We were able to, to raise a round and um, continue on our path towards, you know, that future of work as, as we stand today in 2022. That's awesome. That's awesome. And it's super interesting because, uh, you know, we started off with like your journey and you said that it was an Arduino that barely looked like what your product looks yeah. today. And it's it's really interesting to see how, you know, you kind of moved into this aspect of becoming you know, a data first company, uh, you know, like helping people make better decisions about how they allocate resources and inventory management, etc. So I'm curious, obviously, data is critical to the business that you're, you're building. So I'm curious to know, like, with all the data that you have in the clients, like, have there been any surprising or interesting insights that um, you can share that have come from from deploying Miro? Sure. Um, yeah. So and a lot of times, you know, we're, we're sort of miscategorized as a hardware company. Um, we really look at ourselves as, as you said, a data company or a software, you know, empowered by hardware. Um, and I think we're able to do this in 2022 much more effectively than we ever have. Um, you know, sort of supply chain issues aside, um, it's much, much more efficient and you know, cost effective to build um, low cost hardware using, you know, IoT devices. Um, so I think that's sort of the, the key, you know, sort of paradigm shift that we noticed as we started to, to grow and scale was the sheer amount of data that we we're collecting. Um, so obviously on consumables, so paper towels, toilet papers, garbage bins, um, but also on the actual cleaners themselves. Oh no, we have a, what we call a beacon product that we provide to the cleaners that, you know, tracks their location. So we can determine, you know, how long is it taking for specific cleaning tasks? Um, mm -hmm. How many times have they visited specific areas? Um, are they cleaning in a way that, you know, we would deem sort of like effective or efficient, you know, and starting to um, expand this beyond just restroom areas. So into workspaces where people are, you know, more and more um, concerned about you know, whether or not their area has been cleaned and sanitized mm -hmm. than they have ever before. Um, so we really, you know, have kind of grown, you know, our, our data collection abilities. Um, and it was really actually a, a sort of growing pain for us as, as we started to scale because, 
we had so many insights that we wanted to create for our customers that, you know, with a standard sort of um, you know, process that we were using in the past, wouldn't have worked. So we recently shifted to um, a sort of a more uh, efficient data process where we can, for example, do um, algorithms in the cloud and we can sort of deploy those uh, to customers much, much faster. And, uh, you know, we're going to actually release some um, some blogs about this in our engineering blog in the, in the near future. So really exciting that, you know, we're at that point where, you know, where we feel like we're uh, really innovating when it comes to our, our data collection and more importantly, data reporting. And, um, you know, we're, we're pretty excited to be at the, at the forefront of that for the, the commercial property management industry. That's awesome. I was going to say, do not automate yourself outside of a job. So <laughs> <laughs> what's, um, you know, I, interesting that you talk about, you know, commercial real estate at his, in my view, at least, and, and I think others might agree is it's a pretty, um, like old school industry in terms of how it operates, right? Like the, it, it's almost as bad as the law, I should say, in terms of uh, up technology. So, you know, in the last five years and since starting Marrow, have you noticed any trends in the way like commercial real estate players are interacting with tech? Like we're obviously starting to see this idea of prop tech um, and it infiltrating, but I'm curious to, understand your view and how you see sort of these big players that are historically kind of like paper and pen folks um, adopt technology, whether it's mirror or otherwise. Yeah, um, you know, so while I started the conversation sort of, you know, making a, a little jab at, you know, commercial real estate, how it's pen and paper, I would actually give them a lot of credit in the sense that the thoughtfulness and the level of sort of um, depth that we see a lot of our customers and partners thinking about how technology is going to affect the future of, uh, of the workplace, but, you know, on, on commercial real estate has been really unparalleled. Um, while it's, you know, a symptom of it is it might be moving a little bit slower than we would like as a startup who needs to move really fast. Um, the, the really nice part of advantage of it obviously is um, sort of the scale and the buy-in that you get from really close partners. Um, so one of our, our key customers, um, you know, they've really started from the top down, you know, really building sort of like a data lake strategy, building what they kind of foresee as, you know, the key vendors and the key verticals that they need to a smart building strategy um, and, and really kind of putting those pieces together from top and, and then starting to pick the vendors that really fit that vision. Um, you know, just like a startup, you need to start with the vision before you really um, start to execute and put in the pieces in place. Otherwise, you know, you're really setting yourself up for failure. Um, so we've seen sort of our most forward thinking um, customers uh, being at the at the forefront of, of that depth of, of thinking and, and strategy. So um, I, I would give the industry a lot of credit in that sense, in that it's not it's not haphazard. Um, you know, they're not throwing this in to try to get, you know, 10% ROI. They're trying to get it um, for a thousand or 10,000% ROI over the next 10 to 20 years. And I think the scale of this industry really leans itself to, towards making decisions in that way. And for us as startups, we just have to position ourselves to be able to last for the long term. Um, you know, it's, it's, not a, it's not a five year plan, maybe a 10 year plan or, or even 15 or longer. So um, I think those are important things for us as startups uh, when we're coming against, you know, slow moving uh, objects like, uh, like the commercial real estate industry. Meaningful yeah. change, not just change, 
meaningful change. Um, <laughs> exactly. There's a, there's a big difference, obviously. Yeah, and I think you you kind of touched upon this, but I'd like to dive in a little bit deeper because obviously your insights in working with this industry and getting to a sense of adoption, like, you know, tech adoption in real estate is happening now. COVID has been a forcing function to help, you know, accelerate that process a little bit more, especially in, in, in areas like, uh, you know, cleanliness factors or, <laughs> where you play. But uh, I'm curious, like, what advice would you give to other startups that are looking for uh, commercial real estate players to adopt their technology? Yeah. Um, so I mentioned our first conversations started with uh, a key partner that helped, you know, bring us into their their clients' um, sites. And I think that would be my my advice: is start with channels and and find your ways into buildings with key partners, but then scale with direct. Um, I think that's sort of the, mm-hmm. the kind of really key sort of rule of thumb that I would say is. You know, early on, you're going to need um, some references and you're going to need some clients or customers that, that can be um, sort of your, you know, your, your true champions. Um, and um, they're, they're going to need to really, you know, speak on your behalf in a lot of cases in the early days. But as you start to grow and you start to get to a solid footing, you need to amplify that message and, and go direct as quickly as possible. Um, I think there are cases where, where companies might rely on channels for too long and they never find a way to reach their uh, customer base directly and find a persona and find the right people to talk to at those organizations. Um, so I think that that's, that's sort of a transition that, that we went through through our own experience. So um, yeah, that would be my rule of thumb is, is start with channels, scale with direct. And in your experience, what has been the hardest or most unexpected part about taking the entrepreneurship path? I know it's in your family, it's probably in your blood, but uh, what have you found to be the most challenging? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely times where I don't feel like uh, I was born to do this at all. I, I think that, <laughs> um, it, it, like you said, it, it, there's so many unexpected things that come up that there's no way that you can really prepare for them. Um, so, I mean, I, I find myself always really thinking about, um, you know, things even in my off time. And and that's, a, that's something I never really thought I don't think many people can understand how enveloped you really become in a business um, unless, you know, you've really, really been in it. Um, obviously, you know, we all have our, our passions and our interests, but, um, you know, even if you're t- trying to take time off or you're away from, from the business, the amount that you think about it and, and really get deep into it, that was very unexpected. And um, I think until you've started a business or, or had something that takes up this much amount of your time, you don't realize uh, how much of your identity it starts to become. No, I think that's interesting. And and I guess like, you know, you become one with your business, whether or not you like it, because as you say, time is uh, time is of the essence. And I think everyone tries to optimize for using that time as efficiently as possible. So curious to, to maybe end it on a on 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 a uh, on a fun note, we didn't prepare you for this, but we tend to ask rapid fire questions to all of our guests that are a bit um, you know, gentle, but kind of talk to you. Um, less so than what a founder, you know, response would be, but more of what does Nathan think and how, who are you as a human? Because, you know, relationships are what make the world go round at the end of the day. So we'll kick it off. Um, I'll start off with the first one, but curious to know, what's a book that you always recommend or a podcast? Sure. Uh, I'll give one of each. Um, so book, uh, The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz, I think is, uh, is I'm sure you hear it all the time, but that one is, uh, I think, in another tier for me. 
Um, Zero to One is another book that I would I would put close Peter to that. Yeah. Uh, the Peter Thiel book. Yeah. Um, and then podcast. Um, I mean, I'm always impartial to, to Tim Ferriss. He's actually a big reason about why I wanted to get into tech startups, um, you know, back you know, in the early 20, you know, 13, 2014 period. Um, and yeah, so those would be kind of the, the books and, and podcasts that I'd recommend. Awesome. What's your favorite place other than home? Favorite place other than home? Um, anywhere that I can play golf. Yeah, that's a big, that's a big passion for mine. So yeah, I talked about always thinking about uh, work in other places. That's usually where I'm, I'm thinking about it is when I'm on the golf course. Not a bad nice. place. Not a bad, Not a bad place. place. I love it. I think we should try it out one time. But <laughs> are you okay? Are you a morning or an evening person? I, my co-founder uh, thinks I'm an evening person uh, because he's an extreme morning person. But I actually consider myself a morning person uh, because I, I, I'm around a lot of evening people. So it's a bit of a both answer. <laughs> You're a founder. 24 hours. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so no 6am tea time is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, not, I'm not quite a 6am person, I'll be honest. <laughs> um, and what's one small thing you want to be better at doing or something that you'd like to learn to do this year, like a sport, a hobby? Um, yeah, so I guess sport-wise, um, I've always been interested in, um, like, water sports. Um, I never got a chance to do that much in, in Alberta. Um, people have told me to try sailing. I've never done that before. Um, it kind of terrifies me a little bit to, to be out there on a boat not knowing what to do at all. But uh, that's something I'd like to try with someone who knows exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Too bad there isn't someone like that for entrepreneurship, right? Yeah. Um. <laughs> Okay, and Nathan, if you didn't start Mira, what would you be doing now? That is a good question. Um, I don't really know. Um, I would like to say I'd be, you know, as passionately involved in some other endeavor um, as I am currently. But, um, you know, I, I maybe I would like to say that I'd be doing something involved in um, like public health or um, like something to do with um, like addiction or addiction counseling and those types of things that was kind of one of my other interests or other passions um before i uh before i went into um into business awesome wow that's like it's very um so like a great response uh i haven't heard that one before, so um but it's also very aligned so you're kind of close tangential to healthcare right now so it's nice maybe yeah it's adjacent journey <laughs> it's adjacent yes yeah um <laughs> And one last question for you. This isn't really rapid fire, but the PropTech Collective is a community after all. And as a community, we uh, would like to support each other as much as possible. So if you have any asks for the PropTech Collective community, whether it's hiring, uh, a next capital raise, conversations with customers, uh, what would it be? Sure. Um, obviously, introductions into our, uh, you know, kind of, target market and anyone in the property management industry would be, um, you know, no doubt an ask, but I'm always open to connect to anybody anywhere. Um, obviously these days things are, are much easier to connect on a call like this than they were in the past, but um, anyone in Toronto, happy to grab a coffee um, and anybody else, you know, happy to hop on a Zoom call just to connect and, and chat a little bit more. Awesome. And I'm assuming people can find you on LinkedIn or go on your website. How, how, how can people get in contact with you? 
Sure. Um, yeah, LinkedIn. Um, you can look me up, Nathan Ma. Um, you know, I, I live and breathe Miro, so you, you can also find me through uh, our website. Um, and I'm not very active on Twitter, so I won't, I won't really recommend that way. That's okay. Neither am I. I find it's too hard to keep up with so much information. But Nathan, thank you so much for your time today. And um, also many thanks again to Kenda and Dentons for helping us uh, bring the Spotlight series to life. Uh, for all of our listeners, if you share the same values or have an active interest in building up your professional network in the PropTech ecosystem, we encourage you to follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter and consider uh, joining as an official member. We have both the free and paid company memberships. So um, as also, we're always open to your feedback on future topics of interest. So if you have any suggestions, please get in touch with us at hello at PropTechCollective.com. Uh, thanks everyone again for tuning in. And I hope you guys have great weeks ahead. Bye.